feet. We thank you because your love is great for us, Lord. And this morning we pray that you prepare our hearts, that you quiet our minds, Lord, and just prepare us to hear what you have and what you have us hear through Marcus's uh, word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 20. We're going to continue to work through. This is actually one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, We're going to finish up Acts 20 over the next couple of weeks and really take our time because it's just one of those, all all Scripture is profitable, um, all Scripture is valuable, um, but obviously there are certain parts of the Scriptures that are so just rich and packed full of theology and application and inspiration that uh, I think it's good to pay a little bit more uh, closer attention to to some of those passages of Scripture. In in Acts chapter 20, when we look at verses really 17 through the end of the chapter, which is Paul's time with the Ephesian elders, um, we're just going to see some amazing truths and principles and encouragements from this text. And so we're going to try to unpack about half of this passage uh, this morning is we're going to look at 10 characteristics of a kingdom citizen. Uh, and then over the next couple of weeks, we will get a little bit deeper into qualifications of a biblical elder. Uh, as Paul uh, really gives the elders there in Ephesus some encouragement and some lasting words of wisdom. Now understand, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. I think he spent more time in Ephesus with the church there than any other place throughout all of his missionary journeys. So you can imagine he developed a very intimate relationship with the believers there in Ephesus. There are elders there that he had been training and investing in for a long time. And as a matter of fact, if we, when we read a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 20, it actually says that Paul purposefully avoided having to go back to Ephesus because he was afraid that if he went back there, he wouldn't want to what? He wouldn't want to leave. But he knew that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, had told him, you've got to go to Jerusalem. And so this is part of his, and and he knew, and we're going to see here today what was awaiting Paul there in Jerusalem. Uh, And so he purposefully avoided Ephesus because he was so attached to the people that he was afraid that if he actually went back there, he would not want to leave. And so what he does here, you're going to see in just a moment, is that he, he gets the Ephesian elders to meet him in Miletus, which is a, another port city just a little bit um, of, of, of very small portion away from Ephesus. So he asked the elders to actually come up there to meet him there before he takes his journey on into uh, Jerusalem. And so we're going we're gonna to see how, how connected Paul was here to the believers in Ephesus. So if you think about what he's doing in this entire passage for the remainder of Acts chapter 20, in, in a way you're going to see today that Paul is almost... He's almost writing his own eulogy for the elders in Ephesus because he knows, and he actually tells them as much, he tells them, this is the last time that you will lay eyes on my face, this side of heaven. And and it was. And and we see there at the end of Acts chapter 20, the elders gather around Paul, and and look, it says that they were... He tells them all this amazing stuff and the one thing it says about the elders and the people, the, the leaders there in the church at Ephesus is that they were brokenhearted and they were weeping over Paul because he had told them that they would not see his face again. And so this is a very poignant passage of Scripture. It's a very emotional passage of Scripture. And it got me to thinking, you know, Apostle Paul was a unique individual to say the least. But could you imagine being the one to write your own eulogy for just a second? Think about that. What if you were given the task to write out a summary of your life which would be read at your funeral with all of your loved ones around? That'd be a pretty difficult task, wouldn't it? And in a sense, when you see, when you're about to see what Paul is about to say here in Acts chapter 20, it's kind of like he's reminding everyone there in Ephesus, the, the, the leaders in Ephesus, who he really is. It reminded me of a, of a man who once was a very proud man, a very narcissistic man. Uh, he, he prided himself on being the best dressed and the best looking and to have all the best shiny toys and, and to make the most money. 
And he insisted to his family that he would write the inscription for his tombstone. Before he died, he said, I want to write my own inscription for my tombstone. And this is what it said. Here lies the richest, most brilliant, and best-looking man to ever live in Jefferson County. A few years later, his wife, who had lived with him and knew him better than anybody, was buried next to him. And she insisted that she write the inscription on her tombstone. And she said, even Satan will masquerade as an angel of light. I made that up, by the way. But if you think about it, I mean, what would you say? What, what, what would you put on your tombstone? What would you want your family and close relatives to say about you in your day of death when they remember you and your life? And it's something really to ponder. And that's really what we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 20. And I will just say this up front. As a pastor, there's generally two audiences that we preach to. Okay? We preach to the church people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are already in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, walking with Him, and then we preach to the lost. And in, every, in any given church service, we, we don't know who's who necessarily, and so we, we try to make sure that we, we bring the gospel. Uh, we also have opportunities to preach directly to the church, and there are those edifying passages and, and, and um, sermons that are to build up the church. And I will say today, predominantly speaking, this message is for the church. But I only say that hesitantly because if you're here today, maybe you're not a, a member of this church or maybe you're just a visitor walking in. Don't, you don't know anything you know, about the church or about Jesus or about the Bible. Or, or maybe you, you walk in here knowing that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean this, this passage is not for you. Uh, you're going to find some, some very, uh, very applicable elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this passage. But I do want to just kind of tell you on the front end that most of this of what I'm going to share with you today applies to you first and foremost if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let's get into the word together in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to begin in verse 17 as we look at the 10 characteristics of a kingdom citizen. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. We're talking of Paul. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, remember, he was there with them three years. And he's saying, you remember how I lived among you. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city and imprisonment, excuse me, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Would y'all take a moment? Let's just pray over this passage together. Father, as we just commit this time to you, Holy Spirit of God, I am dependent solely upon you, Lord, to communicate the truth of this message, that it would not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, Lord, but that you would do your work on both ends, that you would be with the preaching of the word and that you would be with those who would receive it, Lord, and that it would edify and, and take root in our lives and, and that, Lord, we would begin to examine ourselves in light of Scripture, and, and Lord, always uh, be willing to look at ourselves in, in comparison to you, Lord Jesus, and even in, to, in comparison to people like the Apostle Paul, Lord, where we know that you have called people to set examples before us, and, 
And Lord, many of us here, not to have a spirit of condemnation or guilt in any way, Lord, but, but hopefully a spirit of encouragement that there is hope, God, that, that Lord, in you and with your help and according to your power through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Lord, that we can live as kingdom citizens in this world at this time, Lord. And I want our people to, to know that and to walk away encouraged today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ten characteristics. Number one, people of integrity. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a kingdom citizen, there should be a, a sense of genuine sincerity in your life. You, you should be a person of integrity. Paul was a real person. He was not hypocritical. Uh, there are many things I think Paul had been accused of, but hip, being a hypocrite was, was not one of them. He was not duplicitous in nature. He wouldn't be one way to one person and another way to another person. What you see is what you get with the Apostle Paul. He wasn't perfect. There's only one man who's ever lived to be perfect, but Paul was consistent. He was trustworthy. He was reliable. He was faithful. Here, here's the way I like to put it. Paul did not take any days off. From being a Christian. You see, we as believers in Christ Jesus, I just want to go ahead and lay it out there to you. We, don't, we can't afford to take any days off. If we're truly believers and followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul was faithful to the end in his ministry and even to the end of his life, he was a man of integrity. Let me ask you, is this your testimony? Is this my testimony? Do you find yourself taking days off as a committed Christian? I, I, I look back on, on parts of my life. I was born again at 17 years old. I was a, a young man. I have no doubt in my life that I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he, he came and entered into my life, and he, he, he saved me, and we had a relationship. And, and, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was saved and a new creation in Christ Jesus as a young man, 17 years old. But I'm going to tell you something. I went through a period of many years where I still was in love with the world. And I look back on those years ashamed thinking about how I sent so many mixed messages to so many people because my mouth was saying one thing and my walk and my actions were saying something completely different. And I think most of us as believers have probably been there to some extent. And I'm not going to go into all of my testimony here this morning. One day maybe I'll be able to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. God had to humble me through that process. And it was not a very pleasant process to experience. And yet he humbled me all the more. We'll get to that here in just, uh, in just a minute. But, but think about that in your life. You, you may, because I used to come and sit in, 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 in church services just like this. I would go to Sunday school knowing that I was a hypocrite knowing that I was not living the life that Jesus Christ had called me to be. Now, does that mean that we're all here called to be perfect? No, I'm not saying perfection. Again, Jesus Christ is the only one who's ever lived the perfect life. But what I am saying is that we are trustworthy, we have integrity, we are reliable, that, that, that overall we're blameless and that we, are, we walk the walk of the Christian life. And so if you're here today, are you sending mixed messages to the watching world around you? Are you playing church? I used to play church. Some, some say, are you playing games with God? It's a dangerous place to be. So the first characteristic of a kingdom citizen is just simply be who you say you are. Be a person of integrity. Number two, kingdom citizens are people with newfound liberty. Now look at the, look at the interesting wordplay here in Acts chapter 20. Look at what it says. Paul, again, he's, he's reminding the, the elders of Ephesus who he was. He says, from the day that I was with you to the, day, the first day that I set foot in Asia, I was the same guy. You could, you could count on me. I, I was not a hypocrite. And then look at what he says in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. That word serving is, is the Greek word doulos, and it, and it implies this, this meaning of a bond servant, okay, a bond slave. 
So how is it that Paul, being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, was all of a sudden free? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have to believe the words of Jesus himself. He says, listen, if you are a sinner, you're a what? A slave to sin. We all born into this world with our sinful natures and then we choose to sin once we reach the age of conscience where we understand that which is right and wrong. We still continually choose to sin. Why do we continue to choose to sin? Because we're what? We're slaves. We are bound. We are under the control. We are compelled by our sinful natures to continue to live a life of sin, which is why Jesus radically calls us to come to himself. And he's saying, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from what? Free from the control and the masterful influence of sin in our lives, free from the fear of death. There are many benefits, obviously, of becoming a Christian and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, but Paul knew that he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ. It seems like a contradiction in terms, but here's what Paul understood. He's like, I know who my master and my Lord is. I know who has redeemed me. Paul owed his life to Jesus. And if you're a Christian in here today, so do you. Now, here's something that I heard someone say many years ago, and I'll say it to you. Jesus saves us and sets us free to serve. Let me say that again. When Jesus saves you and you enter into a relationship with him, he sets you free from the bondage of sin and death, but he sets you free in order for you to what? To now serve him. You see, we now have a new master. Whereas sin was our slave master, sin was our task master, now we have a new Lord. Now we have a new master. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was free, but this is what Paul is saying. It reminds me of Peter in John chapter 6. Jesus is talking to the disciples in John 6, and he begins to say some very difficult things. You remember, up until this time, crowds were following Jesus everywhere that he went. But then he begins to teach some radical cost and commitment to following him. And you know what it says? It says, many of the crowds did what? They left, they left him. They walked away. And there's Jesus standing now with just his disciples. And he looks at them, and he says, so aren't you going to go with them? Does anybody remember what Peter said? Lord, where else are we going to go? Who's better than you? What's greater than serving and living and following the Lord Jesus Christ? That's exactly what Paul understood, and that's what makes the Christian life so fulfilling, is that we, as believers in Jesus, for the very first time in our lives, are truly free. And we, listen, listen, it's very important. We could choose to use our newfound freedom to chase the world. It's like what I did for many years. To serve ourselves. We could choose to do that. Because we're what? We're free. There is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But here's what I want you to understand is that when we understand who Jesus Christ truly is, when we understand what he has really done for us, how much he gave up for us, how much he truly loves you, nothing else in this world compares. You see, the reason that we're saved and set free to serve is that we don't serve Jesus because we have to. We serve Jesus, why? Because we want to. Because we have a desire and there is a difference that we have a newfound liberty in Christ Jesus and where else are we going to go? We owe Him our life. You can tell those people who serve Jesus out of guilt or obligation as opposed to those who serve the Lord joyfully and willingly. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you this morning. If you're here today and you're serving the Lord Jesus out of any other reason simply because you love him and you joyfully are willing to give your life to him and for him every single day, then you're serving him for the wrong reasons. Jesus never wants you to come to him out of obligation or out of guilt or out of shame or any of those things. There's freedom for those kingdom citizens. Number three. A kingdom citizen is a person of humility. 
Now, this is where I really start to struggle with Paul a little bit. Because in my world, you've met the person before, right? The person that has to tell you that they're humble, they're not what? They're not humble. But here's Paul saying, for for three years, you watch me. You, You know how I live my life before you. I serve the Lord with humility. Wow. What kind of a man is able to say that with confidence? Again, a unique man, the Apostle Paul. What is humility? Let me just give you a couple of definitions. It is is an inside-out virtue. This is important. Produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than other people. As long as you compare yourself to other people you will have the tendency to elevate yourself. As long as you compare yourself to the Lord Jesus, you will always remain what? Humble. Humility is to keep someone from being self-exalting or self-inflated. It means we're living in complete dependence on the Lord with no reliance on ourselves. That's why Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he begins with this... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. Jesus connects kingdom life, kingdom living, kingdom promises with the humble, the poor in spirit, having a proper perspective of who we are in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God I can say with confidence. The kingdom of God will not consist and not be full of people who are high and mighty, who are proud and arrogant, and who are all-powerful in their own eyes. No, the kingdom of God will consist of people who are poor in spirit, those who have humbled themselves before the Lord. Now, as I said before, if you really belong to the Lord and you refuse to humble yourself, then God inevitably has a way to do what? To humble you. And unfortunately, that can be a very difficult and painful experience. But it is for our own good, obviously. And and God needs to get us where he wants us to be. And that's what he is able to do. But let's think about the Apostle Paul. When did Paul first learn humility? Well, you know what? If you're traveling on the road to Damascus to go in prison and maybe kill Christians. And you're struck down blind just like that on the road. I think that's a pretty humbling experience. I mean, let's just start right there. Hold up, Paul. Uh Uh-uh. I got different plans for you, man. We're going to start right here. You're not even going to be able to see until I get your what? Attention. Okay, humbling experience number one. Then, says that Paul spent about three years in Arabia. He withdrew after he had this encounter and received his sight back. And he began preaching early on, just immediately after he was saved. But then, you know, the the disciples didn't trust him very much. And so he withdrew. And it says he spent about three years with the Lord. We don't, it's a very mysterious time in Paul's life. We don't know a whole lot about it. We know that Paul did receive some revelation from God during this time. So I think him just spending time with the Lord, we don't know exactly what that all looked like, but I bet that was a pretty humbling experience. See, God needed to take time with Paul because he was such a self-righteous and proud man. He needed, he needed to take time to, to whittle him down a little bit. But then beyond that, what did the Lord promise Paul? He's saying, listen, I've got to show this man how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And beyond the Lord Jesus Christ, it's hard to find anybody else who's ever lived in the name of Jesus Christ who ever suffered more than the Apostle Paul. So, you know, we may say, well, how can Paul say that he was a humble man, that he served the Lord with humility? Well, I'm going to tell you something. He went through so much suffering that I truly believe the Lord got him to a place where he truly was broken and he truly was humble. The opposite of humility, which is pride, is where we identify Satan's great sin the, the guardian cherub of the throne room of God, who is the most beautiful of God's all creation. It says in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and it describes this created being, this guardian cherub, and how beautiful he was and how intelligent that he was and how powerful that he was. And it says, until sin was found in him. And he said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will, I will, I will elevate myself above the Lord himself. And that is pride. 
the root of all other sin generally can be traced back to one primary sin. That's pride. It just can. And so we all struggle with it. But then I want you to consider this. This this is what really gets me. God is the most humble person in the universe. Let me say that again. God, the great I am, the eternal creator of the universe, the glorious one, the, the forever true and faithful king of kings and lord of lords and God almighty I mean, you could go on and on and on about all of his titles and how powerful and how glorious and how wise and how just supreme he is and sovereign that he is in all of his things and all of his ways. In other words, if anybody had any reason to be proud, it would be God. And yet he's not proud. He's what? Humble. Think about that. Here we are, a bunch of proud, rebellious humans living our lives with this sinful desire to to elevate ourselves. And here's God, it says, who did not, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to or to to grasp, but he, he took on the form of a servant. He became a man. And it says that he humbled himself and he became obedient even unto Death. Do you understand that, that just the fact that God the Son was willing to allow Himself to be nailed to a cross, what gets more humbling than that? The, the, the Son of God allowed Himself to get beat and His beard was plucked out and they made fun of Him and they spit in His face and it says that like a sheep who is led to the slaughter, He did not even open His mouth. That's Humility. So you begin to see how proud we are. And so God had gotten Paul to a place of humility. And and I just want to challenge and encourage you today. Listen, humility is not something that that we wake up one day and say, oh, I'm a humble person. No, humility, in my opinion, if you want to become more humble, you need to spend more time glorifying in the face of God. You need to spend more time exalting and praising and and just getting to know who God really is. And the more that we spend time with God, and the more that we spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more that we learn of who He really is and His nature and His character, inevitably we will become more humble in light of who He is. That's where we start. God will take care of the rest. Number four, people of empathy. Paul says, I serve the Lord with all humility and with what? With tears. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When is the last time you wept? I mean, really wept. When was the last time you you were so broken over your own sin that you just wept before the Lord? When was the last time you wept over one of your loved ones, maybe a, maybe your marriage, maybe your children? I believe one of the signs of a a true follower of Jesus Christ, a kingdom citizen, is somebody who allows themselves and is open to be able to feel as God feels, to see as God sees, to to be touched and, and to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and the heart of God to such a point that we are empathizers. We identify with others in their suffering, that we, we weep over a lost and a dying world. We, we weep over our nation. We weep over our church. One of the tragedies of our modern culture, and especially the entertainment industry, is that we've become desensitized. 
to death and suffering. We, we watch movies where people just get slaughtered in front of us and we're just like, man, what a great movie, you know, just what awesome special effects. Do y'all not see that there is a correlation there? Like when you, you desensitize yourself to suffering and death and violence enough, it just, you just harden yourself towards it. You forget how to weep. You forget how broken this world really is and, and we realize how cold our hearts can really become and how insensitive we can be. Now here's the thing. I'm not a crier by nature. And I would say that you know, I'm not, not here to stereotype, but most of you guys in the room, you know, some of you ladies, I mean, you, I mean, I can watch Abby, she'll cry at a commercial. You know, you're watching a commercial, I'm like, are you crying right now? You know, I mean, just sometimes you ladies are so much more in tune with your emotions and you're more sensitive to those things. But guys, we're not as emotional and in touch with our, our you know, our emotions as, as maybe some of our ladies may be. But, but here's the thing, here, men, especially, when is the last time you wept? Now, it, it could be at a funeral and usually in you know, some of those tragic cases like that, yeah, you're, you're going to weep. And, and I know that, um, like my wife's testimony, she saw her dad cry one time in, in his life, and that was at his mother's funeral. And so I understand now, there were other times, I'm sure, but even if we're not a crier by nature, Paul said, I came to you serving with humility and with tears. The last good cry I had was about March. And I'll just share it with you because I don't, I don't even know where it came from, but I was driving to Chattanooga to go see my son play baseball by myself. One of those road trips, took, taking a road trip by myself. And I got somewhere between Nashville and Jackson, Tennessee. And just listening to some music and just trying to spend some time reflecting and just examining my life and just probably not where I needed to be spiritually. And I mean, it was just like the floodgates. And I mean, I, I bet people drove by me were thinking, what is wrong with this guy? There's something bad wrong with him because I was just uncontrollably weeping for probably about 30 minutes just I'm driving down I-40. Now, what happened, it was wonderful. I'm going to tell you, it was, it was amazing. Why? Because when you get that out and you allow God to, to really touch your heart in that kind of a way, what does it do to your soul? It cleanses you. Amen. It's like God just being able to just kind of get it all out and just allows you to be cleansed. Don't hold back the tears. Just let them come on out, guys. There's nothing wrong with that. And so many of us have been hardened by this old, cold, and dark world. But God wants us to be in touch with our emotions, and he does want us to empathize. And he does want us to weep with those who weep and be able to shed tears. Now, again, I can't, I can't, there's not a special formula that I can give you today to make you learn how to cry or, or to be empathetic like that, but I just think, again, it just gets back to being close to the heart of God. Getting close to the heart of God. Number five, people of the kingdom are marked by the enemy. I've preached a lot on this uh, in the past. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but it's, it's evident that Paul says, listen, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears and with what? Trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You see, from Paul went from being enemy number one of God and the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. He's enemy number one. He's taking them to prison. He's, he's ensuring their imprisonment and even death. And then God radically changes him, saves him. And now Paul is... He's changed teams. All of a sudden, Paul goes from being an enemy of God to being an enemy of Satan, an enemy of the kingdom of darkness, an enemy of this world. And so he was a serious threat to the kingdom of darkness. He was a marked man, and everywhere that Paul went, it just seemed like trouble seemed to what? It just seemed to follow him. Let me, tell you, let me ask you something. Was that an accident? Was it an accident that every community that Paul went into, he faced some type of spiritual opposition or persecution? No. Because he was enlisted in a new army. He became part of the soldiers of God in the battle for his life, understanding that he was now marked and a threat to the enemy. Let me ask you a question. Are you a threat to the enemy? Are you a threat by the way, yesterday, first day of college football, right? So, Tennessee fans, sorry. 
Memphis fans, maybe, right? Got the W, but, you know, didn't look great. Ole Miss lost, Mississippi State won. You know, I'm from Mississippi, so I always had to factor that in. But listen, when I'm watching football, you, you, you look at the, the announcers, and here's what they do. they they like, okay, here's the guy that they have to factor into the game plan. Hey, this guy has to be keyed on. This guy has to be paid what? Special attention to because he's a game changer, and if you don't guard him or if you don't game plan for him, then he will beat you. Is that you? When the enemy is strategically game planning, what do they think about you? Oh, don't even worry about that person. They're no threat at all. I've been there. Nah, look, they're, they're too in love with themselves and the world right now. We just leave them, let them keep going down the path that they're going. We need to focus on these other people over here. They're, they're for real. They're praying. They're fasting. They're serving. They're evangelizing. You think about that. Are you... A threat to the enemy. If not, then you're not in the game. You're you're not a kingdom living like a kingdom citizen. I could go on, but I'm going to move on. People who are unashamed to bear witness courageously. We, We know the testimony of the Apostle Paul was that he was courageous. He was bold. I love the word that he uses. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, how I did not shrink. He didn't shrink back. He didn't cower down when all of this persecution was coming or whether his reputation was on the line or whatever other people would think about him or no matter how many times people made fun of him, any, any excuse under the sun, Paul said, I never backed down. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he could write in the book of Romans, he would say, therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the what? Power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first the Jew and then the Gentile. Paul was not ashamed of Jesus. He was not ashamed of his gospel. There are times when I am ashamed. When I shrink back. Look at the the words that Paul says. He's saying... In verse 20, he's like, listen, I declared everything that was profitable. I taught you in public. I taught you from house to house. House to house. I testified both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you you see all of the dynamics that Paul put into his ministry. He, He proclaimed out loud in public. He was teaching people privately in their homes from house to house. He testified to everybody and anybody regardless of who they were. You may be a Jew. You may be a Gentile. You may be rich. You may be poor. You may be slave. You may be free. You may be female. You may be male. It didn't matter to Paul. He's going to bear witness. He's going to testify because he's a kingdom citizen. Very powerful passage here. He says, he testified to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to get into soteriology necessarily this morning because a lot of people maybe would debate about, you know, uh, we're saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. That's it. So where does repentance fall in that? You know, do we repent after we're saved or do, is, is repentance part of the conversion process? And, and I have to believe that, you know, repentance is, is kind of interconnected to when we believe. I think it's part of the, the mindset has to be changed. In other words, who are you going to believe and how are you going to believe in Jesus Christ if you're living your life one way and you're in love with the world this way and you think that you've got it all figured out in your own way, you've, you've got to have a change of what? Your mind's got to be changed to some extent. You have to be at least open to consider what Jesus is offering. And so part of that process is repentance. Repentance is just changing your mind in the way that you view something in order to see it God's way. And that's what what Paul's saying. He's saying repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I believe that repentance and faith are, are really two sides of the same coin, they're really connected together, is because that's the gospel that Jesus preached. When he went around, what would he say? Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter would say the same thing in Acts 2, in Acts chapter 3. He's saying, repent and believe for times of refreshing have come. And so there is a connection here that we have to be able to open ourselves up and at least consider what God is doing and what the gospel is communicating in order for us to believe. I'm not going to get into that deeply, but it is something 
that we need to consider. We must be willing to change our thinking about Jesus in order to be able to turn to God and trust in Jesus. That's what really repentance toward God is all about. Number seven, people of the kingdom are people who walk obediently. Now, Paul is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and he uses a strong word, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. This, again, is connected to the fact that he's a bondservant. Going back to his fact, the fact that Jesus is Lord and Master, and Paul is being constrained, he's being compelled by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you've got to go to Jerusalem. And Paul is like, listen, all I know is that the Holy Spirit is telling me that I've got to go, so guess what? I'm going to go. And he says, and I don't really know what's awaiting me there except this. I'm probably going to be persecuted and put into prison. And yet he was still willing to what? To go. He was still willing to obey. So in order for us, for you and me to be kingdom citizens, to be obedient, listen to me. we got to first be able to hear from God. How can you obey if you don't first hear? And how can you know his voice... Until you heed, excuse me, how can you heed his words unless you first know his voice? And we can't obey if we don't hear, and we can't hear if we're not listening, and we won't listen if we never stop long enough to just be still. Part of many of our problems in life are the simple fact that we're just not slowing down and stopping enough to be still and listen to God, to identify the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then hear what he's trying to tell us to do, and then we have to go and do it. Paul was walking in step with the Holy Spirit. He was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He knew that suffering and persecution was promised to all those who seek to live a godly life. He knew that anybody who was a serious in their walk with Jesus Christ was promised to suffer. They were promised to face persecution. They were promised to face opposition. Yet, we will suffer as believers in Jesus, but he will use those trials to mature us, to refine us, to purify us, to humble us. Remember humility, and he's ultimately trying to make us more like who? More like Jesus Christ. Now the last thing I'll say about this is is simple. How do you measure success in the kingdom? The world measures success one way. It puts all of its qualifiers on what we are to be considering success. The kingdom of God operates a different way. In order to be successful in the kingdom of God, it's very simple. It's one word. Obedience. Are you hearing me? God is calling you to obey. You leave the rest up to Him. It doesn't always look like the way of the world as far as success goes, but when we obey God, we have been what? Successful. You see, there's two words in the vocabulary of every believer who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and you you and I would be well to learn these two words. You ready? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. There should be really no word for no in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that. How many times are you going to tell Jesus no? Should that ever happen? Not if it's him talking, not if he's the one leading, not if if he's the one commanding us. We never say no. We say yes, Lord, and we leave the rest up to him. Number eight, people who sacrifice selflessly. I love what Paul says. Listen to what he says. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself if I only may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul did not count his life of any value because his life was not his own. Paul learned a long time ago that he belonged to Jesus, that he was crucified with Christ. That means his old self was put to what? Death on the cross. He was crucified with Christ. It was no longer Paul who lived, but it was Christ who lived in him. So that the life that we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up to us. This is exactly what Jesus was saying is that if you want to come and follow me, you've got to take up your what? Cross every single day and you follow me. You've got to give yourself up. That's why I love the famous hymn, Jesus paid it all. 
all to him I owe. Let me ask you, what more can you give to Jesus than your life? There's nothing more dangerous than a dead man who's living for Jesus Christ. Think about that. Number nine, people who live purposefully. I love what Paul says. He says, look, I don't even consider my life as anything because all I want to do is fulfill my purpose. I just want to fulfill the purpose for which I'm right here, right now, living on this planet to be, living on this planet to do. I want to run the race. I want to achieve my goals. I want to accomplish my missions. i got to fulfill my purpose, finish this course. This is Paul's motivation for his everyday life because he understood that he wanted to make the most of this short and fleeting time that we have on earth to make the best, the best and biggest difference for eternity. Now, here's the thing. Everybody in this room, we have the same mission. Y'all stay with me. This is important. Everybody in this room has the same mission. It's to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. Our mission never changes. That was Paul's mission. Everybody in this room, however, does not have the same ministry. You are unique in that God has crafted you and made you and gifted you in such a way where he has given you a what? A ministry. Do you know what your ministry is? Let me ask you this question. What gets you up in the morning? Not fear of your boss. Seriously. Why do you get out of bed every day? What motivates you? What are you passionate about? If you want to discover what your ministry is, here's all I'm going to to say about that. Ask yourself these questions. How has God gifted you? What's unique about the giftedness that you've given? And I'm talking about abilities and skills, but also spiritual gifts. And then here's the next question. What are you passionate about? What gets you excited? What What do you feel like you're good at? What motivates you? Again, when you put your gifts and your passions together, guess what you've just discovered? Your ministry. If you're a kingdom citizen here today, guys, God wants you to fulfill your ministry. You're put here for a purpose. We need to start living it. And here's our last one as I ask our worship team to come up. Kingdom citizens leave behind a lasting legacy. I don't know a whole lot about Paul than what we see in the scriptures, but I think I can say this. When the apostle Paul met somebody, they never forgot him. As kingdom citizens, guys, let me tell you something. We should be a peculiar people. Are you staying with me? Stay with me, guys. When people meet you, We should be the kind of people that they what? That they remember. Are you one of those forgettable people who who never really makes an impact or a difference in other people's lives? Or are you one of those people that when they meet you and they spend any amount of time with you, they're like, hey, I know that person. I'll never forget that person. There's something what? There's something different about that person. I believe the Apostle Paul had that quality because he left behind a legacy. And listen, this is what he's telling the elders in Ephesus. He says this. He says, behold. You know what that means? Look close. Look. Look at my face. Why? Because you're never going to see it again. Remember me. Remember who I was to you. And continue to carry on the legacy that I have instilled in you. And you do that unto one to another. And that's what Paul is saying right here. And here we are about 2,000 years later still talking about the Apostle Paul. He left a legacy. As I close, I want to think about that eulogy again. I'm going to ask you a question. If you gave pen and paper to your closest friends and relatives right now, 
And they were going to write a eulogy about you. Could you be convicted of being a Christian? Would they really, honestly, without embellishment, be able to say this person was a kingdom citizen? Not perfect, but they walked the walk. They had a purpose. They made a difference. They were unashamed of the gospel. They were selfless in their life. It's interesting, my father-in-law died in 2012. My mom died in 2000. So Abby and I both have one parent who has gone on to be with the Lord. And it's interesting because both of them are similar in this way. And I'm not saying this to, um, to brag on them, I guess, necessarily. But, but I am saying this because I think they didn't know when their, their days were going to be cut short in that way. But, but they did live their life to the fullest. And here's the thing that I can say about my mom and about Abby's dad, who was influential in my life, that to this day, when you bring their name up to other people who knew them, their eyes light up. And they're like, wow, I knew your mother. I knew Mr. Ronnie. And they were real people. And they really loved me and they listened to me and they, they were the real deal. Even today, even now, after all these years, that tells me that they made an impact, they made a difference. And guys, that's what we should be striving to do. So as we go, I'm going to ask you this question before we sing. And and this is just, again, this is time for us to kind of evaluate a little bit, right? How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Number two, what changes must must you begin to make today that will help you become that person that God created you to be tomorrow? Two questions. How do you want to be remembered? What changes do you and I need to make today that are going to allow us to be that person tomorrow? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. And all I want you to do, guys, is just respond to the Lord however He has led you here today. Maybe you need to spend time in prayer. Maybe you need to weep. Maybe it's time to weep. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need counsel. Maybe you want to know what it means to be a kingdom citizen for the very first time to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we thank you for being so good and faithful. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone in this room today that wants to decide for the very first time to follow Jesus, that they will do that now. No turning back. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand as we sing?